If you have your Bibles, go and find your way to Galatians. We'll be spending our time at the end of Galatians 5 and, and starting Galatians chapter 6. And so as we continue this series, this centered series, this work through Galatians, um, we, we actually come to one of my favorite parts because it shows us how to live. It, it shows us how to live in relationships with other people. Because that's what we all do, right? We're all surrounded by people, whether they're friendships or work relationships. We're in relationships with people. And what's, what's sad, though, is that most of our relationships aren't healthy. Most of our relationships are, are broken because we use those relationships for ourselves instead of how we're supposed to. Um, my friend uh, Dave McMurray, you've, you might have been here when he preached a couple. We were doing the same series right now with his church in Clean, and we, we kind of swapped notes and, and talked throughout it. And, and one thing that he said in that is that, that churches are full of people with empty relationships or that are empty relationally. And that's so true, is that even as we gather here with this hope, we hear the gospel and we have this hope, our relationships... Our relationships still are so often empty. There's not this idea of of strong relationships that that filters through the church. And so today as we look through this, we're going to look at at what what Paul here has as gospel-centered relationships. Understanding truly what relationships are meant to be. Because there's a good chance that, that if you're not now, you've been in broken relationships. Probably more than one at a time. Probably more than one at a time. And, and the reason we see this, and we see this idea is that we're full of these empty relationships is because we use relationships a lot of times to feel better about ourselves. Like We're going to be in a relationship with someone because their situation makes us feel better. right? We can be like, well, I'm glad I'm not going through that. But we still want to be in a relationship. We still uh, talk to them and, and associate with them, but, but it makes us feel better. And it's not a healthy relationship because we're not in it for that person. It's, it's a selfish gain. Or, or maybe we use that to gain status in the community. If you rub shoulders, if you will, with the right people, then all of a sudden people see you differently. If you have importance because of relationships, then it's really not a healthy relationship. It's not going to remain healthy. It might seem that way for a while, but eventually it's just going to deteriorate because it's not built on anything other than selfish gain. And, and we see that even us in the church have been inundated with this idea that our relationships are for ourselves. That, that our relationships are to gain something for ourselves. And we might have this time where we try to give to these other people that we're in relationship with, but often it's not. And we see this picture, and we see that relationships are broken because we are. Because we as people are broken and sinful. And so when we look at other people, when we look at these relationships, the reason they're empty is because we are. The reason they're broken is because we are, because people are broken. And so when we look at this passage today, as we get in here to, to Galatians, the end of chapter 5, and we're going to spend a, a couple times, um, a couple verses in chapter 6, we really see what true relationships are. We see what a, a gospel-centered relationship looks like, how it functions, and why it functions that way. Not just how, but why it functions that way. So if you will, follow along. We're going to start in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 26. Then we're going to read through chapter 6, verse 5. So in Galatians 5, 26, Paul says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. If you will pray with me as we ask the Spirit to guide us through this today. Father God, we thank you that, that you've given us truth, God. And right now, I just pray that, that I would be submissive to your spirit, God, that I would present your truth and not try to change it or use it for our gain even now as we hear it, God, but that we would understand it, God, that your truth would be proclaimed as you've given it. And we just thank you that your spirit is within us to, to interpret your truth, to give us your truth, God, and empower us to follow it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so what we just read in those few verses is basically a gateway to healed relationships. If most of our relationships are empty or broken, what Paul just gave us in those few short verses is a, is a gateway into how we can heal those relationships, how we can have truly gospel-centered relationships. And we see that, that what we see, though, is when we look at that, the Bible's good for instructions, but it's not step-by-step. And so often we get, we get frustrated, and you might have been in this, I've been in this so many times, where you go and you want to you find a way to, to figure out something. You want to find a way to make life better, and you go to Scripture, and it seems like you have no idea what it's talking about. Because what we do is we see that it's not a step-by-step manual for instruction. It's not going to tell you, do this first, and then do this and this, and everything's great. It gives us principles but then the application is so different because we're so different and so what we see here is that we're all in relationships with others but until we truly grasp our identity in the gospel we'll continue to be in broken relationships if we're not going to grasp our identity in the gospel center ourselves on the gospel then our relationships are going to be broken and so for the relationships to be healed we must need we must realize that we have to continually be renewed in the gospel and then our identity is continually renewed in the gospel. And then that leads to our service being renewed in the gospel. And then we're free to service because really our individuality is renewed continually through the gospel. And so when we look at the message of the gospel, we see people divided into two categories. Right? We see that there are either people that are alive because they've been saved by grace through faith in Christ or people that are dead in their trespasses and sins. There's, there's two distinctions of people, and we must notice those distinctions if we're going to truly transform our relationships. We've got to find out where we are, because if our relationships are to change, it starts with us. We can't change other people, but what we need to see is that if we truly have broken relationships, half the problem's us. Right? We're, we're part of that problem because we're broken as well. If you break something, both sides are effective, or, are effective. and so we need to forget this idea that, that it's always the other person's fault and realize that we're all broken. Because that's what we see in the gospel. There's two sides. And then we see that as we're Christians, if we've heard the gospel and we respond to that, then we still are at war with this. We talked about that last week. The war that's raging, that the, the world is drawing us to it, and the Spirit's trying to gain our attention as well. And then as we look at this passage, the last thing before we get into this, we need to remember that, that Paul's writing this to Christians. This letter was written to churches. 
He's not writing these instructions. And really, if you look at the Galatians that we've been to the last 15 weeks going through this, if you look back over it, and I've said before, I felt like I've preached the same thing over and over again because that's all Paul's doing. He's preaching the gospel continually. But we always forget that it's, he's preaching it here in Galatians to Christians. And so what we can see when we look at that is we can take away this idea that we somehow outgrow the gospel. That, that when we become Christians, we don't outgrow the gospel. Because here we have an entire letter devoted to the gospel continually. Over and over again, the gospel being preached to us. And so that's what we must do to ourselves. We must continually preach the gospel to ourselves. And so what happens here is if you really haven't submitted your life to Christ, you kind of get a a cool opportunity in this passage because you see how Christians are supposed to live. If you truly haven't submitted your life, you haven't followed in that, you haven't given Christ all of your life, you actually get a good picture today of what it's going to be like to live as a Christian or what Christians should be living like. That's a great opportunity. And so what we see today as we kind of take this journey through this, we see what it means to live like a Christian in healthy relationships. And first we see that it's through a gospel-centered identity. Again, remember that that we said that that the church is full of people that are empty relationally. And we're empty because we don't realize who we are in Christ. John Stott says it this way. He says, our conduct to others is determined by opinion, our opinion of ourselves. And so how we view ourselves is how we're going to conduct ourselves towards other people. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about in verse 25. When you see this in, in verse 20, or 26, excuse me, it says, Let us not be con- conceited, become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. He's directly talking about how we view ourselves. How we view ourselves is going to determine then how we view other people. And how we view other people is going to determine how we relate to them. That's going to then give the foundation for our relationships. And what he's talking about here, this, this conceit, this false pride, if you will. This, this idea that when we look at ourselves, we have this false pride or, or vain glory would be another way to look at that. And when we see that, we see that we have a false view of ourselves. We have a, a view of ourselves that then is going to lead us to be conceited, to have this false pride in ourselves, and then that's going to filter out into our relationships because how we view ourselves is what we do. And so what do we do? We either provoke people, right, or we envy. Both of those are, are different sides of the same false pride we have in ourselves. The amount of conceit we have directly affects or reflects the level of our gospel-centered identity that we actually have. If we're truly finding our identity in the gospel, if we're truly centered on that, that's going to reflect in our relationships. And sadly, we forget that all the time. And so what happens then is we have this false view of ourselves that leads to two things. It leads to that provoking or envy. This provoking, it's this idea of dominating relationships. And that comes out of this idea that through this conceit, we see ourselves as superior than others. And if we're superior than others, we're going to try to dominate those relationships. And that's how we, we're going to provoke. We're going to provoke to show that we're better, to show that we're more superior, to show that we have a wider authority. And so in our relationships, it, it leads to this idea that we're going to dominate every aspect of that. And we're going, to, we're going to try to prove it, though. Because if you truly are dominant, you have to prove that, right? Or other people won't remember it. So what do you do? You live a life of relationships, and what you do is you continually 
try to dominate those. And you do that by provoking other people. Because if they respond to something you do, then you can assert your dominance. You can provoke them to certain actions. But on the other hand, we see that if we're not provoking people, what are we doing? We're envying them. And this becomes this false idea, and this comes out of this conceit that tells us that other people are better than we are. Because if other people are superior, if other people have a wider authority, then what do we do? We envy them because we want that. We look at those people and think, man, I should have that. That's not fair. Both of these options, both of these these outworkings of a false pride in ourselves come when we fail to realize our true identity in Christ. When we we forget our gospel-centered identity, our, our identity that's found in Christ alone, it's through His work. It's not through ours. When we forget that, we become conceited because then we think it's about us. And if we, think it about, if we think it's about us, we see people two ways. Either less than us or better, and both lead to unhealthy, broken relationships. Because you can't have a healthy relationship if one person is trying to dominate the whole time, right? It just doesn't work. It doesn't work because eventually the person that's under is going to be so envious of the person that's not, they're just going to leave, right? They're going to shut down. It envies something that we do internally, we're provoking something we do externally. And so we need to see that. that. If we fail to see our gospel identity, truly see who we are in Christ, then both of those are going to work out in our relationships. And both of those are going to be broken relationships. We're going to be in a cycle of not understanding why it doesn't work. And this just isn't in, it's in, it's in every relationship. If you see your boss as superior than you, you're going to envy everything that they have. Well, if I had that authority, I would do it this way. How can they make that decision? Because I could do it better. That's nothing more than a false pride or conceit in yourself that leads to envying someone that has more authority than you. But if you have authority over someone else, you'd be like, there's no way they could do what I do. They don't know the stresses of my job. How dare they try to... And, and, and so what you do is you, you try to provoke them. You give them something, maybe. Well, here, try to do this. So they, they'll fail. So then you can come pick up the pieces and dominate that. We need to understand that in Christ is everything. Everything that we are is in Christ. We need to see our true identity. I had a picture here of a, of a name tag. I always hate wearing these name tags, the hello my name is. One, because I never know how to write it because my handwriting's not the best, and I feel like that's the first description of you. And then it feels like I always have a pen instead of a marker. So then you have this little bitty pen line, and you should have a marker. That's, that's, that's how I always feel. But it's so true. Is Who are you? If you filled out this name tag of yourself, who are you? Are you a sinner saved by Christ alone and you find your identity completely in Him through the gospel? Or are you just trying to make it on your own? What would that look like? What would that name tag look like? Do you truly have a gospel-centered identity? And if we truly want to find that, how do we do it? We find the answer in, in Ephesians. You should be able to flip. It's probably one page. Ephesians 1. I just want to read something from Ephesians 1. This is Paul's prayer. He, he's praying for, the, for the, the people in Ephesus that he's writing this to. And in that prayer, in, in verse 17, this, he says in verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for remembering you in my prayers, that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glory and inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. What we see in that description in Ephesians 1 is, is the way to not become conceited. It's the way to, to not have that false pride in ourselves. And when we look at that and we see this idea, what is Paul saying? He's saying that if, praying that he'll send his spirit in us. Why? So that we can have a knowledge of him. So we can have a, a knowledge of him. Paul's praying, no, I want them to understand the gospel, but send your spirit so they can truly see that. But truly know that, and that's how we become centered and our identity becomes centered on the gospel pointing to christ as everything is to have a deepening knowledge of him that's why we don't graduate from the gospel the gospel continues to respond to our sinful desires and showing us know that everything that we are is in christ we are centered on him our identity is found in him and if we do that we're going to not become conceited we're not going to provoke people because we're going to have a true realization of who we are. Only then will we stop provoking people as a way to prove our dominance or our greater worth or our wider authority. And only then will we stop envying, envying people because we see that they have a greater worth or a wider authority. It's only when we're truly centered on the gospel and our identity will that happen. And that's the first step into having truly healthy relationships if your relationships are completely broken you have to go back to the beginning and that's where is your identity found because if it's not found in christ then it's found in things of the world if it's found in things of the world then you'll try to gain those through our relationships and it's never going to happen it might for a while but then someone else is going to come around just never works and so when we see that we go back to our gospel-centered identity and we see that who we truly are in christ we're going to see that that then affects our relationships now the relationships can become healthy because we're not gaining anything by them we're living life together and that's when we can see that we have this gospel-centered service i use the term service here in a, in a way i want to define it because that's important right now most of the time when people say service and they think service in the church we think of going out we're going to serve the others, the least of these. And while it's true, we also have to realize that there's service that happens within the body, too. And that's the top of service that we're talking about today. This gospel-centered service is how we interact amongst the body, how we live life together. What we see, then, is that we gain this gospel-centered identity, we're going to see that we have this gospel-centered service because our relationships now aren't a way to gain anything, we're just truly living life. And that's what he says there at the start of chapter 6. Look at verse 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And then what do we do? We bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we see in there this idea of what true gospel-centered service is because it's living life in a relationship, but what does that relationship look like? That's what verses 1 and 2 show. It shows what a relationship among Christians should actually look like. And again, we need to see some of this stuff because when we just look at this, it, it seems different than what it, he's actually meaning. When we live through com- community with others, we realize that, that we're going to see people that keep getting caught, right? And that's what he says. That if someone is caught in any transgression. 
what we need to understand there is this caught, it's not like, it's not, he's, he's not starting a, a neighborhood watch for Christians. He's not starting this idea that we're going to start watching people and I'm going to find when you mess up. And you're going to find when I mess up. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about that if we're living life, truly have a gospel-centered identity, and we're living life in community where our relationships aren't a way to gain anything from them, and we're going to be in those relationships, we're going to notice when people continually get caught or stuck in certain sins. It's this idea of not being caught red-handed, but this idea that you, you constantly get caught going back to those things. That, that, that sin always entices you, and you don't understand that about people until you're in a relationship with those people, until you're in a healthy relationship with those people. You see the difference. Because if you're not in a relationship, then you do see them get caught red-handed. Well, I saw how you screwed up. But if you're in a true relationship, a healthy relationship with that person, because you don't need to gain anything from that relationship, then you realize, man, it does always happen. But how can I help? How can I help bear that burden? And that's why Paul goes to the next thing. He says, those who are spiritual should restore him. But who exactly are the spiritual people? What's he talking about here? He's talking to Christians. Isn't he talking to everyone here? What he's meaning by this is this idea that the spiritual people, it's not a special class of people, but it's people that are truly led by the Spirit. If we look at the, the passage from last week, we see both sides. We saw the desires of flesh and desire of the Spirit. The spiritual people are those that are gospel people, or those that are seeking after the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, that are led by the Spirit, and those are the ones that should restore the people. So he's not saying there's a special class. He's just saying those, true, those people that truly have their identity in the gospel, that truly have their identity in Christ. You're going to see the fruits of the Spirit. Those are the people that should restore them. Because you can't restore to someone to where you're not yourself. We can't take people to where we're not. And so he says the spiritual people, but it's not that you have to gain something. It's those that are truly gospel people, if you will. They're marked by this gospel-centered identity. So the spiritual people aren't the ones that come and serve all the time. But they are. But they, they serve because they understand where their identity is. They understand who they are in Christ. They understand what it means to be part of the body. It's not because they do all the things. It's because they understand the meaning behind them. And they have their identity. They aren't simply the people who serve, but they serve because they're gospel people. Because that's what the gospel does. It brings healthy relationships out. So they should restore these people. They should help bear that burden. This is a heavy burden. What he's talking about here is a burden that you can't carry yourself. And so these spiritual people should come along and restore them. They should bear that burden. You have to do that. You, can't, you, you have to do that in a relationship. And you have to do that in a relationship that exists, exists beyond Sunday morning. We have to be in our lives with each other, understanding that our identity is in Christ and living our life to that. That's when we can restore people. That's when we can help bear the burden because we actually understand people. But notice how we restore that. Gentleness. When we come to the reality of our sin, we see that we are completely broken. And to restore completely broken, to restore that, it takes time. It takes precision. It's a, it's a surgical effort of precision to restore people. And you don't do that quickly. You can't be precise if you're fast. Right? If you do something quickly, there's a good chance you're going to mess it up. Right? Especially if you're restoring something that's broken. I have a picture here of of some x-rays. You can notice the one on the left. You can see the, the, the ring finger. 
if you can understand, it's a right hand. The ring finger and the middle finger are broken. This is actually my nephew. Um, that he, it's a football injury. He landed on his hand weird. And you can tell that, that, that his fingers in his hand, that one of them was almost broke completely in half. And then you can see the, the post-surgery where he puts a plate in the screws, right? Okay, so would, if, if that was happening to you, if that picture was happening to you, would you want the surgeon to take his time? Right, you would, right? You don't want him just to open you up and go after it. No, you need that precision. You need to be gentle. You need to restore that carefully or it's not going to last. And that's the same thing that happens with our relationships. Is we need to restore those people gently with a precision that's found. It's a surgical precision. It doesn't mean that it doesn't leave a scar. If you've ever had surgery, you can tell the, the, the way the, the surgeon was by the way you scar, right? I have, I've had two surgeries, and one of them, I have this nasty, gross scar because the surgeon just kind of ripped, ripped around. It didn't, wasn't gentle at all. And the other one, I had surgery on my hand. It's actually a, a clean scar because they took their time and were gentle with it. The scars remain, but the process is what determines how bad they are. This isn't something that we do naturally. We don't truly have this gospel-centered service. We don't truly restore people gently on our own. And so to do this, to, to display this idea of gospel-centered service, we first must rely on the Spirit ourselves. Because only when we're depending on the Spirit will we actually find our identity is centered on the gospel. And the byproduct of that is the service. We don't serve people to gain our identity. Our identity in Christ leads us to serve people. You have to be in relationship to do that. We have to be spiritual people. Those are relying on the Spirit. Those that display the fruits of the Spirit because that's how we're led. And secondly, to, to do this, relying on the Spirit, secondly, we need to keep watch out for ourselves. Right? We can't, we can't take someone who said, beyond what it is. Did it mess up? Oh. We can't take someone beyond what, what we are. And so if we do that, if we understand that, we're going to keep watching on ourselves. Why? Unless we too fall. Because if we forget about our identity, then it doesn't matter. Because we're not going to be able to be found. So we need to understand that, that we need to keep watch out for ourselves, but we also need to keep watch out for others. Because in that is when we're truly going to see when they're caught in those struggles. We're going to truly see when they're caught in those sins. Because, think about it this way, we're all masters at cleaning our house right before company comes over, right? That's, I wish that that happened all the time because then it, you, you actually clean your house so much faster, right? If, if company's coming over. But if it's a friend, do you really clean your house? No. You're like, whatever, they know me. That's how we should be in our relationships. We should be in a true healthy relationships so that we don't have to worry about cleaning up our lives for people to be around us. We don't have to do this mad dash and look like we're, we're, we're cleaner than we are or like we're more organized than we are because people truly see who we are. And when we truly see who people are, when we're truly in these relationships that, that outlast Sunday morning or midweek Bible says that truly living life with other people, that's when we're going to be able to see if they're caught in sin. Because that's when we don't have to worry about them. They're not putting on a show anymore. Why? Because they know that your relationship 
isn't a means for you to feel like they're a project. It's just a truly healthy relationship. And we have that because we have this gospel-centered identity that leads to this gospel-centered service. If we're going to see when people are caught in sin, we need to be in healthy friendships and relationships with them. And then finally, we must remain gentle in our correction. And this, is, this is a way where I fail continually as a father. I do. Because you correct and you correct and you correct, and what happens? You get frustrated. And then eventually, it's not gentle anymore. What I have to remind myself and what Lindsay has to remind me of is I have to remain patient and gentle. Because we're teaching people. Teaching Keaton and Kelby how to live. And so we're teaching other people. We're bringing them along. We're discipling them through a healthy relationship. We can't get frustrated. Our correction has to remain gentle. And we have to, and we do that by relying on the Spirit. By understanding where our identity is. And that leads to service. Keeping a watch out for ourselves and others so that we're not tempted, but yet we're bringing them out of that. How? Gently correcting. Gently correcting because that's the scar that we want to remain. Because it's always going to remain. People are always going to be brought into that. It's just that. That's who we are as people. And only when we do those three things, relying on the Spirit, keeping a watch out for ourselves and others, and truly remaining gentle, are we going to begin to see our broken relationships start to mend. See our broken relationships start to heal. Because that's only when we understand who we are. And when we truly understand who we are, we realize that we have this gospel-centered individuality. Look at verse 3 real quick. Galatians 6, 3. It says, If anyone thinks he is something, he is, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so what we need to understand is that we as humans continue to think that since we've got these abilities that, that previous generations haven't had, we think that we're smarter or better off, right? I think, well, they didn't have this stuff, so they're not as smart as we were, and it's not that. We can't allow that type of thinking to come into who we are as people. Because Paul quickly reminds us that if we begin to live in healthy relationships, that, we, that if we keep living in these relationships, our tendency is always going to be back to point at ourselves. And so he warns us, it warns us, if you think you're something when you're nothing, you're deceiving yourself. What he's saying there is that if your identity is found somewhere other than the gospel, then you're deceiving yourself. Because the gospel tells us first, what? That we're nothing, right? But when we look deeply into the gospel, as Paul as he prayed in Ephesians, if we keep that deeper, deepening understanding of who we are in Christ, then we're going to see that it's in Christ that we see who we are. And then we're going to see that it's our individuality that must also be centered on the gospel. We'll see who we are as individuals. And so when this happens, we don't, we don't boast in ourselves. That's what he says. He says that if, you, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing... He deceives himself, and then what? Let each one test his own work so that his reason will, to boast will be in himself, not in his neighbor. And that sounds, at first you're like, wait a second, I thought we're not supposed to boast in ourselves. But what he's, what he's saying there is if we're truly in relationship with people, then we're going to understand that our individuality, how we're unique, doesn't point to us, it points to Christ. And so that's going to lead us to boasting in him. Our relationships then become healthy because we aren't trying to use them to advance ourselves or to show how we're unique. The gospel-centered individuality frees us from being in relationships with others for our own gain because we realize that we're all differently made 
And it goes into that. We see that we're all different. That's what we do with the gospel. So, um, but we all are uniquely created. But what happens then is, on one hand, when you, when you submit to Christ and you give your life to Christ, on one side, you have all the baggage that you brought with you. There are these desires and these temptations that we have with us that continue. They, they, they continue, and they're unique to individuals. Some people get caught in other sins that some don't. Some people have problems with drugs and alcohol. Others don't. But some people take care of money well, and others don't. Some people gossip like it's another language. And others, it never affects them. They have no desire. Why? Because we, we're unique in what we bring to us. But we're also unique on the other side in how the Spirit gifts us. We've all been given gifts by the Spirit. Each one of us has this unique idea. And that's where Paul's getting at, that we each have this burden to carry on our own because we bring these desires with us in our sinful flesh. It draws us away to certain things. Not that you can't ever overcome those, and and those will shift, but you all have that. And those are the burdens he's talking about that you have to carry on your own. He's not talking about the same burdens as he talked about in in the first verses. This is a different burden. Those were heavy. You can't, you can't help but carry them with someone else. You can't do it on your own. But these are burdens that, that, that the word is more like a backpack. It's more like this. You have to carry it yourself. You have to carry it yourself. i got a picture here of my backpack with Keaton and Kelby's. They look roughly the same, right? Pretty much the same size. But they can't carry mine. Even though it looks like they can it's a unique burden that we all have to carry. We understand that when we see that we have this gospel-centered individuality, and that's something to celebrate. As you gain this gospel-centered individuality or understanding of it, when you realize that you were personally created, then it frees you from using relationships for your own gain. If you go all the way back to the story of creation, it's, a, it's amazing to see how we were created. We're the only thing. Everything else that was created was spoken. Everything else was spoken. The stars, the heavens, the animals, the plants, the sun and the moon. Everything that he did was spoken in creation except for us. And when he got to man, he didn't speak us into being. He formed us. He formed us And he breathed life into our nostrils. He breathed life into us. That's this intimate creation. We're individually created. We're different than the rest of creation because he handled us. He created us personally, and that should give us this great sense of self-worth because we know that we're purposefully created. Listen to the words of the psalmist in Psalms 139. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's wombs. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. It's this personal individuality that we see in how we created. And notice that he doesn't just say we're individually created. He says, I praise you because we are. This gospel-centered individuality allows us to look at who we are and praise God because we were fearfully and wonderfully made. 
when we understand that, our relationships are changed. They're no longer broken and fractured because we're not gaining anything by them. Because what can we gain more than Christ? It should be celebrated. If we just, just look around the room, we see diversity. We see that we're different. And that's what we see. What makes us up internally is completely different as well. And that's why the church should be the most diverse place. That's why the church should be just as diverse as the community because our diversity is something that's celebrated because we have this gospel-centered individuality that only comes from Him. Only when we realize our true individuality is found in Christ will He truly begin to have healthy relationships because remember, John tells us in his gospel that it's through everything, through Him that everything was made. He recorded our days before there was none of them. He knew us before we existed and created us this way. This is when we see our individuality centered on the gospel, we're freed to play neither the victim nor the savior in our relationships because we are who we are. And that's something to be celebrated, not categorized. We need to understand that if we do that, then our lives are changed, our relationships become mended. And that's when people notice. That's when the outside world wonders why. And it doesn't matter if you've been in church your entire life. If you haven't submitted to Christ through the power of the Spirit completely, then you don't experience this. And your relationships will continue to reflect that. So what we need to understand is that if our relationships are broken, the problem begins with us. Because we're not resting on the gospel for everything. We feel that we've outgrown it, and then our relationships become this way to gain something, to do something. And what happens then is you have a lot of these people that, that come, and then maybe this fits some of you, that you have this, you kind of experiment with Christianity. What I mean by that is that you, you come and you do these things, but it's just going through the most. You're trying to figure out what you can get by it. And if that's you, your relationships are not healthy. Your relationships are broken because you're still broken because all you understand about the gospel, if you're just coming halfway in, if you're just halfway giving your life to Christ, all you understand about the gospel is that you're dead in your trespasses and sins because that's all you've experienced. Because that's the first news of the gospel. It's bad news before it's good news. It says you're all dead in your trespasses and sins. And if we're just giving our lives halfway to Him, then we never go beyond that. It says, but you are alive in Christ Jesus. We can't be halfway alive. If we're not fully committed, then we're not alive in Christ. And so all we understand is this broken idea, and we understand that we're broken. And so then what do we do? We try to fix that. And that leads to this, tell, this trail of broken relationships throughout a lifetime until we fully submit on Christ, in Christ, for our identity. So um, I invite you then to give your entire life to Him and truly experience freedom. Because that's where you find it. Go all the way into the gospel. Come all the way in and truly understand who you are. Find your God-given individuality and your God-given identity so that we can serve through God-given means. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. And that's why as Christians we can be humble yet proud. We can be humble because we realize we're nothing. And that humbles us to realize that we're sinners dead in our trespasses. There's nothing more 
humble than hearing that you're dead in your trespasses. You're completely lost. But then what? Yet we're made alive in Christ. And so in Christ we have everything. So we can be humble yet proud at the same time. Because we're not proud in ourselves. We're proud because of what Christ has given us. And that's why our relationships don't have to be broken. Because we don't need our relationships with each other to gain anything. Because in Christ we've been given everything. And so why do we continue to do it halfway? Why do, you con- why do we continue to plan out our entire lives around everything else but Christ? Because if we truly understood this gospel-centered individuality and identity and service, then we would realize that our schedules should be planned around our relationships that we have within the body of Christ. Because that's where we truly find it. We don't have to go out then. If we truly live, like Paul's saying here, if we truly have these healthy relationships, we don't have to go to the world. The world will come to us. Because they want to understand how to have that. We've got it backwards. We always try to go out to everyone and neglect within. But we need to live like this within. We need to have healthy relationships. We do that through the power of the gospel because we realize we don't gain anything by them. We don't need anything from relationships. We've been getting everything in Christ. And so if you haven't been that way, then come all the way in. Because when you come all the way in, it's, it's this submission that leads to freedom. It's the paradox of the gospel. It's what the world thinks will happen when you submit. The gospel says, no, you're actually free. What the world says is freedom, you're actually a slave. So come all the way in and understand that that's the only way you can truly have healthy relationships is giving all of yourself to Him. And when you give all of yourself to Him, you're truly centered on Christ. Let's pray.